Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, March 1st, and this is your FT News Briefing. We have a show for you today about all the things that move us. Literally, we're talking about cars. Like Toyota's bet on hybrids. So Toyota's share price has almost doubled in the last 12 months as people suddenly realize, huh, maybe they were right all along. And also something a little faster than hybrids. Formula One, from facing existential crisis in the pandemic, they come out flying because there's all this pent-up demand for live events, yes, but also their product. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Rishi Sunak's plan to send UK asylum seekers to Rwanda could cost the country at least £580 million by the end of the decade, if it gets approved, that is. The prime minister is pushing legislation through parliament that will declare Rwanda a safe country for asylum seekers. The £580 million estimate, which comes from the National Audit Office, is the first complete breakdown of costs. It includes aid payments to Rwanda of up to £500 million, plus another £80 million in operating and setup costs. The plan has been heavily criticized by charities, rights groups, and opposition MPs. The price tag is not expected to help with that. And Sunak's proposal will probably hit a bunch of legal hurdles in the UK, as well as in international courts. Toyota was absolutely slammed by critics for pouring money into hybrids instead of focusing on fully electric cars. But the Japanese company's hybrid models have been a massive success. So it seems like Toyota was right. Well, at least for now. Peter Campbell is the FT's global motor industry correspondent. He's here to talk about the booming hybrid market. Hi, Peter. Hello. So, Peter, what does Toyota's hybrid vehicle success look like? So, Toyota, as you know, has led the way in hybrid development for many years. In 2022, Toyota sold about 2.5 million hybrid vehicles globally. That's across both Toyota and Lexus. And then last year, this rose to 3.5 million. And Toyota thinks it's going to carry on rising. They're projecting that in 2025, they're going to sell 5 million hybrid vehicles. So this has all helped the company's profitability. And you're right, for a long, long time, everybody had basically asked when Toyota was going to get with the program on battery electric vehicles, right? Cars that don't have an engine at all. And Toyota has had lots of reasons for why they wanted to focus on hybrids. And over the last year, globally, we've seen a slowdown in the growth rate of electric vehicle sales. And what this has led to is a massive correction in Toyota's share price. So Toyota's share price has almost doubled in the last 12 months as people suddenly realize, huh, maybe they were right all along. Let's talk about hybrids a little bit more. Why do consumers like them so much? There are different types of hybrids, but basically all of them use a battery and all of them use an engine. The really good thing about hybrids is the engine. Right? So the engine means that you can drive on either low fuel or no fuel for a while, but you will never be stuck at the side of a road because the charger didn't work. And we know that the biggest concern people have about battery electric vehicles 
is that they will be stranded needing to charge somewhere. And almost everybody among the early adopters has a horror story at some point of having been stranded because the EV charges didn't work. But lots of people want to go greener, and hybrids are a very natural bridge technology that let people do that without them, A, having to buy electric vehicles, which still are very expensive, and B, without ever having to be worried about being left at the side of the road. So we, we've been kind of talking about this through the lens of Toyota's success with hybrid models, but are other car makers starting to take notice? Well, um, Honda has been making hybrids similar to Toyota for a very long time, and they're very successful as well. Ford said that it expects its hybrid sales this year to double their rate of growth compared to last year. And even General Motors, which sold plug-in hybrids, then stopped selling them, is now bringing them back because they now realize that they're going to be popular, they're going to be a bridge technology. Peter, is there a scenario where hybrids become so popular that they make the transition to EVs harder? So it is pretty clear that the the destination where we are going is full decarbonization, which is sometimes called net zero. That has been set out in government uh, legislation and regulations. Now, hybrids are a very effective way of reducing average emissions at an affordable price, but they don't have zero emissions, and that is that is the problem. So people are expecting that everyone will have to sell EVs in order to meet the various emissions targets that are coming out. Whatever the future looks like, there are parts of the world where battery electric vehicles are not going to be suitable because of the grid connection or uh, particularly affordability at the moment. And Toyota's argument is they are a global company. They serve Africa. They serve Latin America. They serve all sorts of places. And so electric vehicles, they say, will not be suitable for all of those. Now, time will tell. It could be that electric vehicles become the global ubiquitous option. But it certainly means that the future is going to be a lot messier and a lot more convoluted and a lot more nuanced than all the hype was telling us two or three years ago. Peter Campbell is the FT's Global Motor Industries correspondent. Thanks, Peter. Pleasure. A new season of Formula One kicks off this weekend. Here we go then, the five red lights. The sport has arguably never been more popular thanks to things like a gripping Netflix series and brand new races in the United States. From Las Vegas, this is Formula One. It's all part of a new strategy to create an entertainment juggernaut around the sport. Here to talk to me about that is the FT's Sam Agini. Hey, Sam. Hi, it's great to be here. It's good to have you. So um, who or what is behind this new strategy at F1? Well, it kind of really goes back to this acquisition in 2017, $8 billion deal, Liberty Media. It's a kind of media group controlled by John Malone, who made a fortune in telecoms and now has a bunch of entertainment assets like F1. Liberty really came in with the goal of how do we increase the popularity of this sport? How do we make the fan base younger and not just, with respect, old guys with Rolexes? And how do they do that? What are some of the things that they're doing to try and get the popularity to expand beyond just old white dudes with Rolexes, as you say? So Liberty went ahead and did a deal with Netflix for a kind of behind-the-scenes series called Drive to Survive, which just about everybody's watched now. Every team goes into every new season with hope. I will create the best Formula One team in the world. 
What this did was it, it kind of highlighted the personalities in the sport. You know, drivers are usually wearing helmets, but now they got closer to the fans. To be a Formula One driver, you need to be able to switch yourself off. Then the pandemic hits, live sport is nowhere, and Drive to Survive takes off. It's hugely popular. Everyone goes crazy. Everyone's talking about this sport. This is what you want to do. And this means that Formula One, from facing existential crisis in the pandemic, they come out flying because there's all this pent-up demand for live events, yes, but also their product. You know, they want to have every race be a Super Bowl. They don't want it just to be about the race. It's all the events around the race, the build-up to the race. It's about getting people excited about Formula One well before race day. Well, okay, so what else has Liberty done for the sport? Liberty have done a great job of extending F1's reach. We're preparing for a 24-race season. It's the biggest in F1's history. They've also turned that interest into more races in America. Liberty adds a race in Miami in 2022. Then they add Las Vegas in 23. And these things now, they're attracting you know hundreds of thousands of people over a race weekend. But what's really interesting is that a lot of these new fans coming into the sport, not only are they younger, they're female, they're girls and women. This is the next leg of their strategy. They're trying to change the culture, not only of F1, but of motorsport to get girls into karting much earlier. So they're trying to grow this new F1 Academy, an all-female championship to stoke some interest and actually put some money behind young female competitors and hone that talent. And what this does is it opens up the sport to a whole new crowd. And these demographics are just coveted by sports everywhere. Okay, the strategy is you create the entertainment spectacle, you put in the infrastructure to diversify the sport, and then you expand the audience from there. How are other sports looking at what Formula One is doing? You know, it's a big live debate in sport. There's a lot of envy about how Formula One has become so much more popular, but we're still waiting for proof that these new fans are going to stick around. I think that sport is wrestling right now with this sports entertainment idea. F1 has introduced these short format sprint races. There's been some backlash there from purists who think this actually detracts from the main race. Liberty would say this is a competition that the casual viewer understands. It's a shorter format race, and the viewing figures prove we're, we're right. But also, people want experiences. People want to go and do things around a match. And I guess as long as you don't compromise the sport itself, you can do a heck of a lot around it because people want to be as close as possible to the sports they love. Sam Magini reports on the business of sport for the Financial Times. Thanks, Sam. It's been a blast. Thank you. You can read more on all of these stories at ft.com for free when you click the links in our show notes. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Kasha Broussaian, Sonia Hudson, Fiona Simon, and me, Mark Filipino. Our engineer is Monica Lopez. We had help this week from Zach St. Louis, Jess Smith, Michaela Tindera, David De Silva, Michael Lello, Peter Barber, and Gavin Coleman. Our executive producer is Topher Forges. Cheryl Brumley is the FT's global head of audio, and our theme song is by Metaphor Music.
Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit from a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.